Well, welcome everybody to Tech Lasso. We're glad that you could join us. And today we are recording from Culver City High School. We are here at Jack Aaron's classroom. So I'd like to introduce you to Jack. We're also joined by Molly Peters. She's the choral director at Rancho Pico Junior High and West Ranch High School. That is up in Santa Clarita. And we also are joined by Drew Lee and Scott Moss. So let's go around the table that you enjoy, uh, introduce yourselves. Uh, so I guess I'll start. I'm Jack Aaron. I'm the CTE music technology teacher here at Culver City High School. I've been working here since the year 2020. And in the previous year, I was the student teacher here. I primarily specialize in teaching students music production, audio engineering, and media composition. I'll go next since I'm in the room too. Uh, my name is Molly Peters. Um, I teach at West Ranch High School and Rancho Pico Junior High School. I teach choir. Um, I have three sections of choir, which I love teaching. And then um, since 2020, have been teaching um, at the junior high. It's a what semester long exploratory class in music production. Our district calls it music industry. Um, and then at the high school, I have, uh, it's actually kids can take it two times. And so it's a full CTE pathway, um, music industry, music technology. Great. Well, what about you? I'll go, yeah, I'll go next. Um, I'm Drew Leib. It looks like when you, when it's spelled, it's pronounced Lieb, but it's live and that's cool. Um, but I am right, from sound. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My, if, uh, if it was my grandmother, she probably would be a little bit more upset than I am, but I just kind of used to, I answered to both. So it doesn't make, make that go. big of a difference, but, uh, All right. but, uh, yeah, my, I'm Drew. I was in, uh, North Carolina, a band director for 11 years, uh, before I joined the team at Soundtrap almost two years ago. Um, in North Carolina, I did middle school and high school band, did the whole thing, marching band, um, discovered, uh, through teaching that, you know, traditional marching band and traditional band programs, my personal, like my classrooms, uh, enrollment in those classes was really declining. And so I was always constantly looking for ways to get more kids in the door. Um, and so I found, uh, audio production and audio engineering as sort of the golden ticket to do that. Um, and of course, Soundtrap was my, main tool of choice for getting started with middle schoolers. Um, but I'm excited to be here and be part of the conversation today. All right. And I know our audience knows Scott, but Scott, let's have you share a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Scott Moss. Like Mark, I'm an instructional technology outreach coordinator at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Well, very good. Well, this uh, session we're having today, this meeting, is the result of conversation that started after Drew and I got to go visit Molly's classroom. And then we were, we were just talking about things and the idea came up of us having an episode where we just bring out some of the things that we're passionate about in terms of technology and music and music education. And so there's a whole lot we could get into and we'll probably have to have some spinoff episodes because we just only have so much time, right? But uh, Drew, since it was, I think your idea, uh, let's start with let's start with you. What do you think is the most important thing that people can hear about that's happening right now in in the area of technology and music? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that there's definitely some spinoff episodes in the future for yeah, sure. Yeah, I it's think a, so. It's a huge huge topic. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe to set the stage, uh, we can kind of go back to um, the the event that I was at out there in, in Los Angeles was for this the SoCal Beat Battle that uh, Soundtrap put on with um, many school districts in Southern California, LUSD being one of the largest. Um, but we also had a few of Jack's students came out and I think one of them uh, won one of the honorable mentions actually. Um, but I think it might be good to just hear a little bit from um, Jack and Molly on sort of their journey into incorporating um, more technology focused curriculum into their, uh, into their programs. I know Molly, you've got yeah. kind of a more traditional music program background. Um, I think you mentioned that you were teaching choir a little bit, but maybe, maybe you can kind of walk us through the journey you've taken to kind of get to where you are today and to really integrating deeply into CTE focused career pathways and audio production. Um, yeah, well, I see, this is my 20, like 22nd, 21st year, year teaching. Um, so, I mean, when I started teaching music technology was not even a thing. Um, I have always taught guitar. So like kind of what you were saying, Drew, about the, you know, my biggest thing is like, how do I get kids into the music building who are not interested mm -hmm. in orchestra, band, choir? Like it will never be their thing. Um, right. I always taught guitar and I love teaching guitar, but then um, truly like right about the time of the pandemic, I was a little like, I was like, okay, I played Ode to Joy on the guitar probably 7,000 times. Oh, um, and so when we went to distance teaching and then, you know, it we opened that 2020, 2021 school year online. Um, I mean, I just, it was very much sink or swim. Um, everybody in our district was, oh, we're going to get Soundtrap. Oh, the kids will have an account and then they can log in and sing. So at first it was, you know, yeah. necessary right. for it to make those virtual, sorry, virtual choirs and saying the, the bad words. Um, but, you know, so it was really just like a, a very much needed tool. That but must then, have been really hard, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, the, uh, the kids tell me, they were like, oh, I always looked forward to your class, which makes me feel good. Cause it was just like, you know, like a room I'm sitting in my office in my bedroom, you know, the guest bedroom and they're just like, it's like silent. And I don't know. It was very, well, be, very surreal. Because making music together is such a community experience. And yep. then all of a sudden you're having students perform to a microphone in their bedroom or something. Yeah. Or like some of them would go in their car, um, their parents' cars in the garage. Cause you mm. know, it's quiet, there you but go. yeah, I, right. And it went from this like communal thing that we did together to just me hunched over my computer, you know, trying to figure out who's got that S that's too early and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I discovered after that, that I really enjoyed teaching it. So, um, it started as the exploratory, the junior high, um, based on soundtrack. Oh, actually, uh, you know, what happened was I think after that year, cause there were a couple of projects, like I was pulling stuff like, oh, let's not, you know, let's stop torturing ourselves by singing alone in your bedroom. Like let's do a podcast or something like that. So then I- Just uh, add some variety and help yeah. make things more interesting. Right? Yes. And take a little bit of the pressure off the kids who are terrified to sing alone. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So then I somehow got connected with Soundtrap. They have their summit, the- um, you know, the, the, it was a Zoom yep. thing at that point. And uh -huh. so they, uh, the woman who I'd been working with at Soundtrap 
um, was like, oh, would you present your whatever project it was that I'd had the kids do? And so that's kind of how I um, got hooked up with that because Lawrence Gray from Young Producers Group was on that. And then he reached out to me and then that sort of helped us create the pathway and get the, um, you know, get folded into CTE at our district because it took a long time for them to like buy into the music Mm -hmm. CTE pathway. So career technical education for all of you newbies out there, CTE. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, I mean, now I love it. I love that it's something new. Um, I love the the kids ask these, you know, they ask questions and we find stuff out together. Well, in addition to the uh, enrollment, that's verifying that their students are interested. Is there also an enthusiasm or sort of a a spirit of excitement about it? Um, in our district, for sure. The yeah. C- we're we're kind of like um, the, the there's three teachers who teach CTE uh, music industry in the Heart District. And we're <laughs> kind of the golden children right now. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. um, it's great though. We are very well supported financially and I you know idea wise and stuff. So it's good. Mm-hmm. Well. Jack, uh, uh, can, I, can I follow up with that? Uh, just one thing yeah, sure, Scott, that, that Molly said. Uh, Molly said something about um, kind of learning, finding things out together. And that seems to be a theme of this podcast. It seems like we talk about that a lot, teachers and students learning together. Could you provide an example of what that looks like in your work? In my classroom, it's all the time. I mean, um, you know, even if it's something like really specific, like, cause we use um, Ableton, Soundtrap and Logic. So if it's something like, how do I, you know, add automation to, you know, and so if I, or something like that, and we just, I go, I don't know, we use the help bar a lot. And then, you know, we just watch YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's something specific like that, that they want to do that, I don't know. That's great. Well, yeah. Well, okay. Well, okay. Okay. So, and, and on that note, I, I do think we all kind of, you know, helped each other today as we were setting up this podcast. Right. So, you know, there's definitely the connection to be made there. Um, but yeah, with, with my journey, uh, I have been just sort of a very, you know, sort of straightforward um, composition and um, production teacher. I think really since I started, or I like to think since I started, I was at UCLA um, for a number of years after transferring from uh, UCSB, and I specialized at UCLA, uh, or I majored in um, composition and music education. Uh, it was kind of there. I always wanted to figure out how to take that into the music education world and really sort of run with it. I, I knew that there wasn't a lot of, or at the time, I sort of knew that, okay, there's not a lot of jobs for me in this world, you know, maybe this was a sort of presumptuous thought, but I was sort of under the impression that as someone who was involved in composition and even a little production at the time, I was just going to have to settle for band, orchestra, and choir, which I was also fine with um, because I love that world too. I grew up in uh, Santa Monica at Santa Monica High School, which has a tremendous, um, you know, ensemble and and um, performance-based program for music education. But uh, it was actually really my mentor, Dr. Frank Huser, and uh, my other mentor, Dr. Ian Krauss at UCLA, who really kind of pointed me in the direction of, you know, both music technology as, as a way to sort of channel my two passions of composition and education. And then from there, it just kind of folded really naturally. Um, and I was a student teacher at Culver City High School before I was actually hired on. Uh, and at the time when I was at Culver City High School, uh, halfway through kind of my semester here, we all just went uh, into pandemic mode and uh, half of my student teaching experience was online. And 
where I had many colleagues sort of faced with the dilemma of how do I make a virtual band, in my case, virtual choir, how do I make this work? I was sort of just spearheading the idea of, hey, let's do production, you know, because why not? We have, you know, students already have Chromebooks. We can we can make this work. We just have to buy in the soundtrack. Um, and so it kind of just folded from there. Uh, at that point, uh, sort of in my student teaching year, we were still trying to make a lot of the virtual ensemble stuff happen. So I was helping our uh, music and ABP director, Dr. Tony Spano, with setting up virtual band and um, helping students record at home and making sure they had the equipment for that. And when Culver City brought me back the following year as a as, as an actual employee for the district, they told me you are going to be our CTE music technology teacher. I had no idea what uh, CTE meant at the time. I had no idea really what music technology really meant. I knew production and composition and music theory, but technology felt like a really broad term that, you know, um, it just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and through the experience of my first year teaching at Culver City High School as an employee, I, you know, I had to craft a curriculum that, you know, met the needs of my students. I wanted their funds of knowledge, their, the music that they listened to, to play a role in this. Because um, naturally in music production, we're talking a lot more of popular contemporary music as opposed to what I grew up listening to and, and playing a lot at SAMA, which was, uh, you know, wind ensemble repertoire, which I still love. Um, and and yeah, I think over the last three years here as, a, as an employee of Culver City High School, it's just been a slow build, as, as I like to call it. We've we've moved classrooms, you know, we've expanded. I, I started with a small class of, I think, 15 students in a closet-sized classroom that I was sharing with another teacher. And over the course of three years, we've evolved into a fully-fledged CTE program. Uh, with, you know, two classes within the CTE program, Introduction to Music Technology and Advanced Electronic Composition and Capstone. We also do after-school classes, including our music theory, which incorporates a little production and uh, media music, which is solely composing for mixed and visual media. Um, and it, it has just been this, uh, honestly, this labor of love uh, from start to finish. And, and I'm not even going to say we're finished. We're still constantly growing, expanding, looking for new partnerships, looking for new opportunities for my students. I'm setting up a pre-apprenticeship program through 1500 Sound Academy at the moment. Um, and I like to say it's just really never a, a, a dull or mundane day. Every single day here is something new, new challenges, new fun opportunities, uh, new adventures for me and students. Well said. That's great. Thank you. Drew, do you have a follow-up question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, of thanks course for <laughs> <laughs> thanks for for setting the sign of the kind of the back uh, backstories there. Um, you know, one of the things that's kind of, that's a little bit more foreign to me, even as somebody that works with a lot of school districts that do have CTE uh, pathways, and maybe Jack and Molly, you can talk a little bit about your experience with CTE mm -hmm. from the perspective of. Uh, a music educator or like a, 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 a visual and performing arts coordinator, why, what, what would you say, or what could you say about your experience with the CTE specific component? What does it look like? Like I've never considered it. If you're going to come to me as a teacher, who's a band 
director. I'll, I'll give you this specific example of when I, when I was teaching, um, the choir director was getting re ready to retire. His choir numbers were so low that I could see the writing on the wall that I was also going to be asked to teach choir and band at the same time. <laughs> and so instead of doing that, I created this class for, um, for using Soundtrap, but I didn't have any sort of resources to do something specifically with CTE. And what I've seen with schools that do do this, and Molly and Jack, you can kind of talk a little bit more about it, um, but there's a whole different um, relevance to the career piece. Uh, but then there's also for uh, for the districts that I've seen and talked to you and, and Molly and Jack about this is that it also opens up funding streams for you guys to get uh, industry relevant materials and uh, equipment to use in your studio. So maybe you guys could tell us a little bit about what the process looks like. Like if, if I've never considered doing a CTE music class, what do I get? Where, where do I start? What's start? What's the point zero and how do I go from zero to one? Molly, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, because um, I think my journey is probably going to look like most people's, um, probably a little different than than Jack's did. But um, it uh, it was definitely um, it was speaking of a whole other podcast. But yeah, right. <laughs> it was a oh, we got multiple episodes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, um, very uphill battle at first. And um, the the person when I first started pursuing CT, so you you obviously have to get a credential. Um, you know, you get a preliminary credential, and then you take a class, and then you get your clear CTE credential. So in order to even access the funding, I mean, that's like the you know what do you have to do? Check off these boxes. Um, but for a, for the first couple of years, I was fighting our district to to let me get my CTE credential, and um, they did have a personnel change. So the person who ha had been previously in charge of the CTE office left. Mm -hmm. um, which you know, when the the next person came in, they said, "Yeah, no, we we the data does support careers in music, and the data does support that we are here in Los Angeles County. Like we should be giving kids these." Um, you know, these opportunities. So it was like, it's this oh. weird uphill battle for me. I see. In order to have the support for the funding. Yeah. Right. And, and th this particular person like wouldn't even sign off on my credential paperwork. So um, we I did see. my principal, you know, did a little, you know, trick scene. We got it, we got it signed and, and I got my preliminary credential. And, and then again, like I said, it's a whole other story, the whole other, okay. <laughs> but um, trials and tribulations of Molly Peters. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but now, you know, we're a full-fledged CTE. We attend all of the, the meetings we um, get, you know, like I said, we get, we write our budgets every spring and, you know, most of the stuff gets approved and, and they don't blink when we say, can we go to the NAM conference? Can you pay oh, for yeah. You know, these MIDI controllers, and they say, Yeah, sure, just you know, fill out a form, blah blah blah. So now it's it's amazing, you know. So if I was just starting out, um, or considering it, um, what what would what's the biggest benefit? Like, I know you know, it sounds like there's a little bit of push and shove to kind of get the their credential, but on, on the flip side, what what was the, the value in doing that for you? What kind of, I mean. How yeah. how did how would that how would that look and what were the the biggest like immediate things that you saw in your program that if you didn't do it you would feel like you're missing a big chunk of what you're able to accomplish? 
Um, I think um, definitely, you know, I mean, I, I, I am like an old veteran, I'm a seasoned teacher at this point. So I would say um, if you are somebody who'd been teaching for a while like me, you, you know, you're going to have to want to do it because you have to learn so much stuff. I mean, um, you have to learn DAWs, you have to learn what's good equipment, you have to, you know, learn how to write budgets and we, you know, fill out our all of this extra stuff. So it is a lot of work, but for me, um, like I said earlier, it's about just reaching those kids, um, that, that there's no way they're ever going to be in choir or band and getting them into the music building. And then, you know, just letting them make stuff. Sometimes they, I mean, they make really cool stuff. Right. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, man, maybe that's a good segue to just kind of talk a little bit about, um, how you guys see um, technology, how you've seen it impact uh, the student's ability to just even come in the door. Um, I mean, I know from my experience when I started um, using Soundtrap and doing a, a specific audio production course, I immediately was able to lower all entry barriers into my class, into the performing arts um, part of the building because I could get kids in front of the computer, give them a little bit of instruction and then let them run with it. Uh, but maybe you guys could talk a little bit about how that's sort of, if the technology has sort of lowered some of those barriers that traditionally we would have with regular performing ensembles. Uh, I think I might want to take this only in that I have found it to be kind of enlightening for me to, to sort of see the different types of students that you see walk into the music technology classroom as opposed to sort of the band ensemble world. I, I mean, I'm a, you know, an ensemble student first and foremost. I, I like to call myself a band nerd, uh, an orc dork. Uh, yeah. I assume there's a choir variation to that, Molly. Yeah. No, 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 we're all cool. Oh, oh yeah, uh, choir, uh, it's choir cool people. Choir, was choir cool. is cool. But, you know, one of my first experiences as a music tech teacher, I sort of expected, you know, in this weird sense, almost this like, I, like I just sort of expected a bunch of like students to come in with this sort of background understanding of classical music and they'd all be into that. And they'd all be into the music I grew up in. They'd be into Samuel Hazo's band scores and all that stuff. And But it wasn't <laughs> like that. And, and, and fascinatingly enough, some of my greatest students through the years have been like the captain of the cheerleading team and the captain of the football team. And, you know, just everyday people who come and go to Culver City High School that, you know, just have a passion and, and they wanted a way to, you know, get it from their head to into the DAW essentially. Um, and I, I, I just found that sort of deeply exciting and thrilling as um, sort of being on the receiving end of that. And, you know, alternatively, I've always made the claim here that my program, the music technology program, is not meant to replace um, the standard here. You know, we, Dr. Spano and I, the ensemble director here at um, Culver City High School, uh, we work in tandem. We bring students into both of our programs. Students who start in my program in the music production side of things, they may say, hey, I want to further these skills by learning piano or learning clarinet or learning how to conduct. And they go straight into Spano's program where they take both of us simultaneously and vice versa. Some of his students, you know, they like performing, they like playing with the band, but maybe they realize I want to write more. I want to get, I want to get some of these ideas out. So then they join mine and we have this sort of shared influx of students. Uh, when, you know, sort of when I started, there was a, you know, obviously there was a bit of dwindling down on in terms of um, 
you know, uh, student count just because of the pandemic. We lost a lot of people, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, unfortunately, due to the nature of the pandemic, the, the band program lost some students and, and choir kind of ceased to exist for a while. But thanks largely in, in, in help to the fact that Spano and I work together mm. and, you know, promote both of our programs simultaneously. We've both seen an increase in our in our students and our student enthusiasm for that matter. Mm-hmm. So it's just I, I I feel so passionate about this because it's just been the one driving force that's been sort of making me tell everyone I know, hey, this is legit. You know, music production in schools, music technology in schools, like it's here to stay. We all have to get used to it. How do we integrate that with our standards? Um, and yeah, sorry, that was a a bit of a, a, a you know. A, more of a passion uh, speech about it, but I really do believe that it is, it is our future. That's okay. Because you had the microphone and you're in control. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. No, that's um, great to hear Jack. And, and I think I, um, and, and that's a great um, point of view and kind of leads well into another question that I had. And I, and maybe Molly can take this one, but I know as uh, band director, former band director, working with other counterparts, either the middle school or the high school. Um, I was often, when I was, especially when I was at the middle school, I was often feeling pressure to make sure that, like, I was, you know, feeding the kids up, making sure that the band kids coming from my middle school program were getting in, hooked up into the into the high school program, um, and making sure that they were ready to do what they needed to do. And so there was, there was always a constant like struggle to like, how do we make sure that there's a connection? How do we do that? And, and through that process, I always kind of felt like there was a, a bit of a, not like protective nature, but uh, somewhat of a like unwillingness to kind of branch out in some places. Um, and so like when we would talk about adding other classes and different things, sometimes we would have some pushback because it was like, well, if my kids, if the kids who take the audio production class take that, then they won't have, you know, their regular band class or their regular orchestra oh, class or their regular I because see. of the way the schedule is. And so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you and Molly both kind of have it set up. And I know every school is different and a lot of it comes down to how the schedule is set up. If you're on a four by four block or if you're on like a traditional six or eight period day. Um, But I'm just curious to kind of hear if you guys have any insight, especially as it relates to having a CTE class offering in the arts programs that doesn't, isn't, isn't a detraction from those um, sort of core performing ensemble classes. Because I know like when I came up, and I did my music education, it was all about like, you know, you've got your core performing ensembles in the arts department. And then you've got like your other smaller groups, like I'd have an after-school jazz band. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious to hear about how you guys have it set up so that the CTE course is not necessarily taking kids away from those core performing ensembles, but in- instead maybe supplementing the arts enrollment. Uh, definitely at my school, uh, the high school, it is a supplement. Um, I think if I look at my roster of 32 kids, um, maybe 10 of them are either also in choir or band. But again, it's mostly pulling these kids in who are not um, musicians already. 
um, or at least like the traditional, like playing in ensembles, singing in ensembles. Um, and some of that too at our school has to do with the credit that is given for the class. Um, you know, obviously choir is a, a fine art and in California, that's a requirement. You have to have this many credits and in your fine art category. Um, and ours is, I think in our district, the kids can get, they pick, right? You can't get two sets of credit at one time, but if you need practical arts credit or if you need fine arts, they can kind of, um, you know, the counselor can help them figure out, oh, this is what you need this for. Um, at the junior high, cause I also teach the, the technology exploratory class, um, music tech exploratory that is, um, mo those, that's, they only get one elective period. So those are kids who are already looked at the offerings and said, I'm not going to do band. I'm not going to do orchestra. I'm not going to do choir. And so you get this, you know, it's the, it's an either or. Yeah, right. And so, you know, I, it's so fascinating to me because if it was me in junior high, I would have been like, choir, done. But some kids, you know, a lot of kids are not like that. And so they just get, we call it the wheel. Maybe um, you're only getting the students that couldn't decide between music and technology. So they're going to take music technology. But but it, at the way it's set up at our school, they don't even get to pick that. Oh, so yeah. the kids who don't elect um, to do like the uh, RPTV, the tele, you know, the news, they, they do, they sign up for yearbook, they do ASB music program. And then you, and then the rest of the kids are like, oh, I don't know, whatever. All so right. they just they don't get to pick. They just rotate through a bunch of these sort of like try music technology, try cooking, yeah. try art. Um, so I really get a, a wild mix of kids. That's great. Um, in that, but so yeah, I mean, I and I would just say that I don't think it takes away at all. Um, in high school, the way our schedule is built, they they get more than one elective, and so I think it just builds, builds, builds. Largely, my experience has been uh, similar to Molly's. I will say it over, there's one drawback about our scheduling is we sort of have what I call a failure to communicate sometimes between, you know, counselors and teachers. So we don't always, you know, teachers don't always get to tell students, hey, you should take my class next year. Uh, you know, you'd be, you'd be great in, in advanced electronic composition, for instance. Usually they have to go through um, their counselors who then sort of help shape their schedule based on the GEs and other classes they need. So that is something that we've been really trying to um, change. You know, both Dr. Spinner and I have been trying to really change in our time here is just to have a little bit more freedom to choose within the schedule. It has been getting better, um, especially to give Culver some credit here. You know, they've been really supportive. Um, but yeah, I, I will say like Molly, I don't think my program takes away from any of the ensemble students. They get to sort of take both. Um, for one thing, how I structure my periods is I teach period one through four. Dr. Spano teaches periods four through six. And then there's obviously after school classes, uh, which are called period seven. Um, but, you know, we are very careful about making sure that if a student wants to take, let's say orchestra, which is fourth period and they also want to take music technology, which is, you know, second, third, fourth uh, period. What they could essentially do is they could take the after school version of orchestra, which is period seven. And they could also take music production classes with me during the day, you know, periods two through four, uh, enabling them to essentially do both. And in my opinion, get the best of both worlds. Um, so, yeah. Speaking to educators, I wanted to just ask you both um, Jack and Molly, what would you encourage a teacher to do who wants to start using technology with students to create music? There might be, you know, there might be teachers that are not in a, in a classically a music educator position, but they want to 
let students create? I would say, and, and I did a little bit of this work, uh, both with um, YPG and Lawrence Gray, who, um, like, you know, who helped Molly, really helped shape my own career. So I owe a lot to him. So shout out to Lawrence, of course, if you're listening. Um, but but really, a lot of work I've done alongside being a educator is also some, somewhat of an educational consultant and working with teachers and integrating, you know, this type of music technology into this classroom um, and, and whether or not they were you know, just straight up just ensemble teachers or maybe general music teachers, how they could sort of adapt it to fit their programs. I think the one big thing that I've learned in this process is you have to be, in a sense, a student too. I mean, that sounds simple, but that's more or less how I started as well. I learned a lot my first year teaching music production because I had stellar students who were also into production and you're always going to have those students. They they just show up. You know, I had a student, um, you know, who was so amazing at production. His, his name's Jasani, in case anyone wants to find his beats online. Uh, Jasani Pitts, go look him up. But he was one of my first real prodigy producing students who I think helped shape my program in my first year and gave me a lot of pointers on what kind of fun projects I could engage the rest of the class in. I see. Um, and it was, it was again, it was a learning experience for me just as, it mu- as much as it was for students. But at the same time, I showed enthusiasm. I was willing to listen to any song that a student made and encourage them. Um, because ultimately, encouragement, at least as it relates to sort of composition and production, is, is one of the most important you know, facets of my job. I find that largely it's not even just the technical side of things, which you know, I can point a student to like, hey, you know, this mix needs reshaping. You should brighten it up with an EQ. The second thing I would say, though, is that, uh, you know, with encouraging a student, it, it, it really is, you know, this sort of positive reinforcement allows students to, to sort of channel this idea of like, hey, I'm doing something right. I, I need to continue doing something right, but at least I'm doing something right, you know, right. and helping students understand, hey, that's a great concept for a composition or production. Here's how you make it better. This is these are things that you can do to shape this project to make it just you know, to make it of of of, uh, of greater quality, if you want, yeah. even that's subjective, of course. You're talking about the enjoyment of creating, and then also the reaffirming process of being able to have um, the resulting product that you help create, and to be able to share that with others. But but to me, um, you weren't really off the, off the topic because I what I was saying was with Proposition Twenty Eight and you know, I think the reforming of music education in our state, it's going to be more than more choirs and bands. It's really going to be this age of making, making electronic music and, and podcasting. That's going to be enabled by more teachers getting involved, whether or not they are the media specialist or not. Um, Yeah. And I think, um, you know, again, that keeps going back to, you know, you, you gotta, as the music teacher, you gotta open up, how can I get more kids in? How can I get more kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, um, I think, you know, I hope Prop 28, I, there is definitely the way it's worded. It's also talks about media art. So I think it's very ripe for schools to, you know, look around and say, well, how can we, you know, straddle both, both worlds? So um, there are some really excellent 
programs, you know, that they can, they can look at. In fact, I'd love to um, see some of your assignments. Oh, oh, please, by all means. I I don't know if there's a capacity for this podcast, but I always love sharing my student projects. That's like the one thing that like, I get more excited about than anything is like, you got to listen to this dope music that the student made. Well, we need some new intro music. So there you go. Yeah, it is. And it's really fun too, when you get like, you have a kid for a year and, you know, maybe they come back for the second year and then they just have this like sound you're like, Oh, that's so, you know, whatever your name is, fill in the blank. style, Uh voice. It's awesome. Oh, when you start to see it develop. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, like you have this one kid who always does like metal music and you have another kid who like seriously you know and like another kid who does like this like real like spacey cigar rose stuff like it's it's just really really huh. cool that's to great see. and and oh, sorry jack i was just gonna say i love that too when they come up and they go i think i'm done and i put my headphones on you know and we listen and then my eyes just are like oh oh my gosh you know and like getting to ask them like do you do you like this and they're like yeah i'm like oh, you should like it's so great like how cool yeah. is that and I was going to ask Molly um, specifically if you've had a student that's like showed you uh, a sort of a style, culture, or genre of music that you just had never heard of before. Like for me, it was one of my first year students also introduced me to hyper pop, which I was sort of familiar with, and but I really had no idea how people produce it, compose it. And this student was just uh, just an absolute like knew everything about it. Was so into hundred gex, all that world of music that just I I got so overwhelmed by it. And of course, the student was interested in making it themselves. And I found that to be a really fascinating experience as someone who you know grew up thinking, well, I know a lot of music and I know all these different kinds of music, but you just uh, you know students, especially given that they're younger, are going to be kind of at the forefront of this sort of changing wave and evolution of new music they do and oh my gosh i, I can't remember they, they were talking about something the day that you guys were in our class and there I, was a particular genre that i had never heard and of we like heard it wrong and then we were let now I, I can't remember drew do you remember what that was uh i want to say it was something like break core or yes. something yeah 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 i still don't even know what that is <laughs> I know. And then you have to be like, well, show me, tell me what it is. And yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that stuff is really cool too. And it gives, again, it gives them ownership and they're like, I taught my teacher today. So, I've never, ever been the person who's like, I have all the answers, you exactly, know, exactly. and that that's what makes any good teacher. But um, especially when it's technology, I mean, there are kids sitting in my class for sure that know more about how to you know run ableton how to run logic than i do and i say that on day one and, and not to transition too quickly into the ai stuff but oh that's molly. funny i was just thinking about that <laughs> well just going off on what molly said like i didn't really know any of the chat gpt stuff until a student showed me it and i realized oh goodness i don't think i can assign papers in my class anymore because uh how uh, what how is that going to work or mm. not that i was assigning too many to begin with but you know, I find the AI world deeply fascinating and a little strange and a little scary at times, but students have been really calming my fears, certainly about it, and showing me all the wonderful application to the DAW and beyond in the music industry in general, even as small as making your album cover using AI uh, generated art, which I was just introduced to me last year. I find that so cool. That's a great idea. Yeah. Now, when you say the DAW is digital audio world, Digital audio workstation. Oh, workstation. So all of those, like Soundtrap is on. Well, great. 
yeah, well, you you did get us to the AI questions, and and I think I totally agree with you, Jack. It's fascinating, it's one, it's wondering, but it's also around the edges. You know, even at its core, sometimes kind of scary. Yeah. And I think that uh, this might bring Scott in because my question is about literacy. I think that students that are involved in creating digital audio are are better capable to understand the impact of AI and and professionals who are creating music and their intellectual property rights. Do you think I'm onto something there? Scott, I think a bit, to... yeah. I, I think uh, coming at it from a media literacy point of view, I think, yeah, that's true. And just, you know, I think of, you know, kids watching movie, watching TV show, and then maybe listening to the soundtrack and thinking about that more. And, okay, what is it they're doing there? Oh, they're, it's in a minor key. So I know what they're, you know, I know the author's intent and those kinds of things. So I see, and I'd like to hear more about this, what uh, our guests think about the benefits of music education, you know, for people who just go on to other things. Oh, you mean for students that don't end up having music as part of their career? Right, right. People, they don't end up being musicians. They just go on, and but they had some, you know, some musical background, some music education, and they go on and pursue other fields, not necessarily music, but what are the uh, kind of other life benefits, I suppose, of having some music education? Right. Well, I, you know, I do think that um, being a musician, whether you're in an ensemble or you're sitting by yourself, you know, in front of a computer, I think um, it builds resiliency. Um, which is a big buzzword, but I mean, you fail so much in music. I mean, you fail there, there every day, you know, my ensembles, um, make mistakes. And then we, we don't like say, well, I guess we'll never sing again, you know, or like if right. you, if you're like, wow, I made a project. It sounds horrible. <laughs> like you, we don't be like, you know, we're like, oh, I think you should talk to your counselor about never, ever doing music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so I think um, I really, really try to drive that home with all of my students. Like it's okay. It's okay to fail. And like, it's, it doesn't mean anything about you as a, mm. as a human or a person. So I think that there's a big part of that is, and then they're just a little more willing to take risks mm. and try new stuff because it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't, most of the time, it doesn't matter. I mean, they should be, I, I think, and I think Molly and, and Mark would agree with this, but I think every, you know, student who's doing music should go outside their comfort zone at certain points. You know, it should never be too easy, right? It should be fun. You know, making music is, I think, a really enriching and exciting experience for anyone that, you know, wants to sort of uh, put their foot forward with it. But more so, you know, I tell my students all the time, if you're making the same kind of music every day, day in, day out, it's going to get boring, you know, take it from me, you know, I'm someone who has made a lot of classical wind ensemble or, or just contemporary classical music in general, and I've had to experiment as I've gotten older to keep it exciting and, um, and to learn more. And I do think, you know, and that also includes the sort of music students listen to as well. I, I will always tell students, even if let's say a student is playing a country song in my class and you don't like country, that's not your vibe, as they may say, you can learn a lot from music that you don't typically listen to and music that you may not always engage with. There's always something you can pull from that person's world and, and kind of emulate into your own. Um, and so to that end, I would say that, you know, with, with, with all my students, be it musicians or music makers of all kinds, 
Uh, I just think they need to kind of step out of their comfort zone and try new things and experiment every day that they can. Great. And I think, you know, kind of on this other side of this part of this conversation, um, I think that students that are creating music will learn to uh, tell the difference between uh, AI created art and music and you know human creative art because they have an appreciation for that genuineness the genuineness of of creating something themselves between human and ai generated Mm -hmm. yeah i haven't really um played too much with ai there was something last spring i'd have to dig it up and find the website but it was an ai thing and i did you know put it up in the on the tv in the class and they would say try you know see if it can write whatever kind of music Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were like, we'd laugh because it was not very good, Yeah. but now it's almost a year later. So I don't know, maybe it is really good. I should revisit it, but mm-hmm. I really, the AI stuff, I mean, haven't, hasn't everybody seen Terminator lately? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very nervous. I truly, it really, I'm more scared, I think, than, than most people. So. Well, you know, I, I keep thinking about the different music teachers that were part of my life and the impact that they made. And I wouldn't exchange that for sitting in front of a machine and, you know, interacting with a prompt to create music. It's just a completely different experience. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Jack, yeah. about, back to what you were saying, sorry, Drew, about like the the different music. That's like, you know, the first lesson, it's a young producers group lesson where you're writing a beat. And I do, you know, it's okay. You put a kick on one, maybe you want to put a kick on one, two, three, and four. You put a clap or a snare on two and four. And then we do, we listen to, I'm like, somebody call out a song and I just pull them up on YouTube. I'm like, do you hear it? Like, it doesn't matter how fast or slow or the genre, like uh, there are these things that then they're like, oh yeah, I do hear that. And, and yeah, as I think we were both relating to this. Like we, Molly and I in this experience also learn new music because a student will share something that we don't know. And it just, yeah, I feel like I love that sort of just general collaboration of being able to share something, even if it's not something you made, but something that you felt really inspired by, um, you know, sharing these funds of knowledge, uh, just I think overall enhances the, just the the camaraderie in the classroom. Like, I don't think as a music tech teacher, we have the same sort of social cohesion that ensemble classes do. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember every band and orchestra trip I ever took, and I remember all my band friends, and there's this there's just this feeling of you want to push a product or a project together, mm-hmm. you know, that we work together to create something magical. But with music tech and music production programs, it's very much everyone's individually working on something. The thing that I have to kind of remind them about is you should be sharing the music you make with the partner sitting next to you and getting feedback. You should be getting up in front of the classroom, sharing the music that you're passionately making you know, behind those headphones, behind the screen of your computer and getting that feedback from students. And that to me is one of the major sort of social benefits is when you can see a bunch of students giving props to each other about, oh my God, that beat you made was so awesome. I love the intricate hi-hat rhythm or I love the synth you created uh, using that patch on Ableton. That's really cool. Like that, I, I live for that. That is like hands down one of the best parts of the job. And I got to, I was lucky enough to see that firsthand when I came to visit um, Jack a couple, couple months ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, to kind of circle back to, to Scott's question about 
the the relevancy of the skills learned in the in the music and the arts classrooms to being applicable to other career pathways. Um, I think, you know, as in my traditional music education background uh, as a band director, you know, one of the things that I would often talk to my students about and knowing that the vast majority of them are not going to go on into college or into careers that are focused in music. To me, I I would really have a lot of, um, I would, I would really dive into like Jack said, the community aspect, doing something together. Um, But one of the things I always, always would say, especially to the younger students in middle school, and maybe it was over their head, I don't know, but uh, (laughs) the, the performing arts classes specifically were one of the only classes where 90, 90% is actually not a good grade. And, you know, you can, I think it's a, Jack Stamp, there's a video on YouTube, you can, you can watch it if you really want to, where he takes like an arrangement of Amazing Grace and he, they, it's like a college level ensemble. So they're really good. And they, each student has to pick, pick like one note uh, or I think it was maybe one or two notes. I can't remember. And they just had to play that one note incorrectly. And they play through like 30 seconds. And of course, like a hundred musicians playing one note incorrectly at various times, it sounded terrible. Yeah. And and so music is one of those, uh, or music and performing arts really is, is a medium where 90% is not that great. Whereas in other you know areas, you, 90% is pretty good. Um, if I play 10 out of a hundred notes incorrectly, when my group of people playing it, it doesn't sound that great. Um, and one of the, one of the things that I probably was quoted on, and I'm sure that I probably have some high school band students that maybe have it put on the back of a t-shirt somewhere, but like, um, I would often say, you know, you, you can play the most beautiful note on your instrument and have the best tone all, all day long. But if you played it at the wrong time, it's still a wrong note. And you have to worry about space and time and all of those things. And so in any students that's involved in that sort of creative process, or even that you know, group performing process, they're learning so much about um, many different skill sets. And then when we drill into like, okay, well, what is it for music tech and music audio engineering? They're not necessarily doing group things as much. I think a lot of it is individual, um, but I think Jack has a really good setup where his kids are constantly getting feedback and they're working collaboratively to produce stuff. They still have to sort of wrap their brains around sort of space and time and being creative and creating something from nothing. Um, and like staring at a blank page, a blank canvas to create anything, I think is, uh, is, is intimidating and students being able to do that and then share it out and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, does a lot for their self-confidence and their self, like, you know, self-worth. They've created something. It's something that's wholly theirs um, and they're willing to share it out. And I think that's a, uh, being, being able to do that uh, in a process with your peers and accept feedback and understand like, okay, I know what I'm putting out here is not perfect. And it's always a constantly evolving process. I think that's a very applicable like skill set, being able to be be adaptable and um, yeah. fluid in your processes when you're working, whatever in whatever area that you go into. Um, and then you know, there's 
tons and tons of research studies that I think NAFME and different NAM organizations that have done about the involvement in the arts and, and whatnot, but we don't need to go down those paths, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we could, but we only have so much time. Yeah. But yeah, I think the more that students can take ownership and, and for me, I think one of the most refreshing things about the audio production and, and music technology in a classroom is that it's it's relevance. I mean, kids get it. It's their mm. language. They listen to it. Um, they immediately are engaged with it. And I'm sure Jack and Molly experienced this, um, where I can only play uh, hot cross buns and a clarinet so many times before you know a sixth grader has just totally lost interest and they're onto something else. But if I take hot cross buns and we put an arrangement of it into a DAW and we add a beat to it and then we take a sample from something and we add something into it, it's all of a sudden it's got a whole new meaning and it's more engaging and then we can start having more conversations. It got to the point for me around year nine this was before I started incorporating technology into my teaching where I was starting to feel like I was just sort of spinning my wheels, you know, like I'm doing mm -hmm. the same thing every year. We're getting the same results. Um, and then COVID hit and we started to, to look at other uh, avenues for getting kids in the door. And it was really refreshing for me for the two years that I was, that I was really doing uh, audio production in the classes because everything was new everything is new. Like Molly said, you, you'll have a kid bring the, bring their computer up to you and you hook up your headphones. And it's like, I've never heard this before. And that's new. Um, and, and that was a really exciting and refreshing thing. It was just what I needed at year nine, um, had this opportunity to, to join the soundtrap team, not, uh, happened. I'd probably still be doing it. Um, yeah. but it's, it's refreshing and it's relevant. I mean, kids are, their attention is constantly diverted. Um, to so many different things. And if, yeah. if we can learn to kind of speak their language and take in some of that uh, attention, then I think we can start to have some really profound effects, you know, small in small doses at first, you know, okay, we got you here. And then we can get more kids in uh, involved and they can do, um, do more things creatively. I think it sounds like Jack's got a really good setup there where he's actually feeding kids into the performing ensembles, which is amazing. Well, I wanted to uh, bring us home by just saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of this conversation today. Uh, thank you, Molly. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Drew. And thank you, Scott. Do you, any of you want to share some final comments before we wrap up our conversation? I just want to say thank you for, you know, valuing um, you know, recognizing that what it, what we're building at these places is is so important, and yeah. it's fun to be able to talk so much about it and mm -hmm. talk about you know choir band. We talk about that stuff all the time, so it's right. really fun to be able to just really talk about my Good. my indie kids. I'm gonna say ditto to everything Molly said. I completely agree. Uh, thanks for having us, and thanks for giving us this opportunity to speak on this. Um, I often feel like I'm kind of screaming to the heavens, like, why won't people take this seriously? Why are we sort of, uh, you know, from the music technology standpoint, like, why is this still not catching up yet? And, and I know to a certain respect it is, it's just maybe a little out of my bubble, mm -hmm. but I love being able to, you know, share this all in this podcast, knowing that maybe another teacher will listen to this and say, hey, this is something I can try in my classroom next week on Monday. 
all you need is Soundtrap. You know, this is my plug for Soundtrap. Get Soundtrap. It's mm-hmm. an amazing program. Uh, we use it every day in class, and I don't know what we would do without it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's been a great conversation. I think, uh, Mark, you alluded to it a little bit. I think we're just, especially in California with Prop 28, it sounds mm-hmm. like there's there's a lot of things that are developing still, and, and there's a lot a lot remains to be sort of understood in terms of the funding models and how that's going to be affected. But I think one of the things I heard you say was about 80% of those funds are used to hire staff. And I know right. for me, um, it, it being able to have the capacity to offer this, offer a CTE pathway or offer a more um, music tech oriented class often means having to get like being able to have uh, another person. I mean, That's right. I, I mean, I, I know Molly's kind of doing all of the different things, you know, choir and you got all that, right. but being able to have the flexibility to actually look at uh, an option to say, you know what, maybe we can actually hire a teacher that specifically does this so that we can offer this. I think, I think you're right that we're sort of on the cusp of sort of, uh, this sort of evolving into a bigger thing that's going to take off. And um, I know for sure that Molly and, and Jack are on the front edge of that for sure in California. That's right. Well, thanks, Drew. Thanks for the idea for us to get together. Yeah, this was great. And I'm happy to field any questions anybody has. And you're welcome to, I think, um, Mark, you'll put any notes in your show notes, but Yes. Um, definitely reach out if you have any questions. Um, always open to collaborating. Awesome. And uh, we'll look forward to a uh, revival conversation or what do we say? Part two. Sequel. Sequel. There you go. <laughs> yeah, let's let's make it all happen. There's this so is, much more yeah. to say. The Tech Lasso podcast is produced by the ITO coordinator team. We are part of the Technology Learning and Support Services Department at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. And use our response form to be considered for inclusion in future episodes. Let us know what you're thinking.